Did God have his hand over the founding of America? Was it a bastion of freedom or a center for slavery? What were Sunday blue laws and how are they connected to the mark and the image of the beast? How can believers stand faithful to God in the events to come? Join us for answers to these questions and more as we trace America's role in Bible prophecy from its beginnings all the way down till just before Jesus comes again. Little did they know when they left home just how their trip would end. My friends Nelson, AJ, and Shama arrived at beautiful Florence Lake in the Sierra Mountains of California. They got word on September 5 that a wildfire had started some distance away. And within 24 hours, it had burned 32,000 acres. With the fires getting closer and the one road out being engulfed in flames, they were stuck. But a promise had been made. The National Guard was on its way. Driving their cars into the dry bed of Lake Edison, they were ready to get out of there. Soon, the Chinook helicopter arrived, as promised, packed all of them on, and air lifted them high above the flaming forest below. They were safe, and they thanked God. Last time, we learned of the incredible revival that will take place at the end of time. The Bible calls it the latter rain. As the everlasting gospel in the three angels' messages are preached, many people will accept God's truth and give their lives to Christ. In contrast, the devil will have counterfeit revivals and religion by force happening at the same time. God's genuine followers will be so filled with his spirit of compassion and goodness that the world will clearly see the truth. Now up to this point, three major things have happened on planet Earth. First, there has been a worldwide preaching of the gospel, just as Jesus said. Second, the mark of the beast has been enforced in the final conflict over worship. And third, all humanity will make a final choice. Everyone will know the truth and make a decision either for God or against Him. It's often said that when America sneezes, the whole world catches a cold. By this time, infected with the sickness of religious intolerance, far worse than COVID, America will have sneezed and the whole world will have caught the cold. Revelation 13 is clear. Every nation worldwide will have compromised and legally forced people to worship the beast and its image. Revelation 15 verse 1 says, Then I saw another sign in heaven. That's John the Revelator seeing this vision. He said, Great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. What is the wrath of God? It's not his anger at sinners. God's not throwing a tantrum here. God's wrath is his judgment upon sin. On the cross, Christ endured the wrath, the judgment of God, so that whoever accepts his life by faith would never have to. Now, before the plagues uh, come, John says, And I, John, saw something uh, like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. Verse 3, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. John in vision sees God's people way down in time once they're in heaven and they're singing the song of Moses and the Lamb. God must have known that John would need to see this beautiful picture at the end of the story because of how terrible the next part is. But before we get there, what is the song of Moses in the land? Well, this actually points us back to the Exodus story where the Israelites escaped Egypt. Stuck in slavery, God's people were in desperate need of his help. 
God sent Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. With each refusal of Pharaoh came another plague upon him and the land of Egypt. Finally, after his firstborn son died, Pharaoh told Moses to take all the Israelites and go. They traveled toward the Red Sea, and soon they found themselves being approached by an angry Pharaoh with his army. With mountains to the north and to the south, the Red Sea to the east, they were trapped. But they were about to see that for Yahweh, their God, nothing is impossible. God told Moses, stretch out your rod over the sea and divide it. And as he did, the unimaginable started to take place before their eyes. A strong east wind came, dividing the waters of the Red Sea all the way to its floor. And the sea floor became dry ground with walls of water on either side of them. All more than two million Israelites crossed over in a single night. As Pharaoh foolishly led his armies through in pursuit, God brought the walls of water down upon them, wiping them out. God's people were in awe and joy, indescribable joy, welled up in their hearts. They were free and they began to sing together and it's known as the Song of Moses. You can find the lyrics in Exodus 15. Now back to Revelation 15. The Song of Moses and the Lamb will be sung by God's people who've made it to heaven and the new earth. Like the Israelites, it looked like their enemies had trapped them and that death was certain. But God came to the rescue, and those who had intended their destruction have been destroyed. Satan and his demons will never again tempt, attack, or annoy them. And the song they sing is the song of their experience, because God has brought them through. It's hard to understand what was going through Pharaoh's mind. I mean, if I uh, were him and I saw walls of water all the way through the Red Sea and the Israelites on the other side, I'd probably be like, whoa. If their God can do that, they can have their freedom. I'll stay right here. But Pharaoh had become so hardened in his bitter rebellion against God that no display of divine power could change him. And the Bible says that the class of people upon whom the seven last plagues will fall are like Pharaoh. The proclamation from heaven has gone out. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he who is holy, let him be holy still. Probation has closed. The door of salvation has shut. Before the coming of Jesus, two classes are developed, the pure and the impure, the holy and the unholy. The final crisis that is coming upon our world will lead men and women to make one of two decisions, completely for Christ or completely against Him. Now you may be thinking, no way, Justin. God will never shut the door of salvation. And that's true, but human beings will. At this point, God will have done everything in His power to draw people to choose Him. But the point will come when everyone will have made their eternal choice. So this decree from heaven doesn't change hearts, but it recognizes the eternal decisions that have taken place on planet Earth. And we've been talking in this series about freedom of religion and freedom of choice because they're the foundation of God's government. God respects every decision, even though many break His heart, the decisions of those who reject Him break His heart of love. The decisions that people make in that final crisis are the culmination of the decisions that they've been making their entire lives. And by their own decisions, their eternal destiny is fixed. The two harvests of the earth are ripe, the golden grain and the gory grapes. Once that happens, 
the plagues are poured out. Now, something significant is where the plagues come from. Revelation 15, 5 and 6 say, After these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And out of the temple came the seven angels having the seven plagues. Now, these angels came out of the temple, and it's called the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony. This reminds us of the Old Testament sanctuary and the Ark of the Covenant that contained the Ten Commandments, the law of God. This is significant. The plagues are about to be poured out upon those who have rejected God's ways, His love, and His law. On the other hand, Revelation 14 verse 12 describes God's people as those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. You know, there are still many leaders in America who recognize the immense importance of God's law. Judge Roy Moore said in just February of this year, one of the most important issues affecting our country is a lack of morality. The Ten Commandments represent the laws of nature and of nature's God upon which our nation began in 1776. Friends, God's law matters on a personal and on a national level. The reason that heaven smiled down upon the United States from its beginning on forward was because the Declaration of Independence and the U.S. Constitution aligned with the principles of heaven's constitution, which is God's law. And freedom of choice and freedom of faith are foundational. By this time, the entire world will have forsaken these fundamental freedoms and legally forced people to worship the beast and its image. And now the time has come. The last person has made their eternal decision. Humanity's door of salvation has swung closed and the plagues are about to fall. When God pulls back His hand of protection, the world is plunged into the most severe calamity it has ever seen. Now, what about God's people? Do they go through the plagues, through the tribulation? Remember, Revelation 15 said, they will have the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name. Over and over and over and over, they have gained the victory. And Revelation 14.10 tells us that it's only those who worship the beast and his image that will receive them and receive his mark who will experience the wrath of God in the seven last plagues. History also helps with an answer. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who wouldn't worship and bow down to the golden image in Babylon? They were not saved from the fire, but they were saved through the fire. Jesus was with them in the flames, not outside, but in the flames. Christ was there. Also, the ancient Israelites weren't delivered until after the plagues of Egypt. They were untouched by the last seven of those ten plagues. And so it will be at the end of time. God's people are present, but protected through the plagues and delivered after them. How are we to be protected from the plagues? The same way that Israel was in Egypt. They put the blood of a lamb on their doorposts. Likewise, God's people at the end of time will overcome by the blood of the lamb, Jesus Christ. Israel's journey from Egypt to the promised land is symbolic of the journey of God's people today from earth our Babylon or Egypt, to heaven, our promised land. And it's all made possible through the blood of the Lamb. In one battle in the French and Indian War, George Washington had two horses shot out from under him. His hat was shot off of his head. He had four bullet holes that went all the way through his coat. 
but he was unharmed. How? In the words of Washington himself in a letter he wrote, the miraculous care of providence protected me beyond all human expectation. Friends, God's people will be unharmed in the plagues, like Washington was, even, and it will be through the miraculous care of God. For God's people at the end who refuse to worship the image of the beast, the issue in the battle between God and Satan is what it has always been, worship. And the question comes to each of us, will I trust God? Will I give my allegiance to Him and obey Him? Will I worship Him alone? The issue is a test of loyalty. Friends, I don't know about you, but I want to hold on to God. I want to give my all to the God who gave His all for me on Calvary. Now in the rest of our time, we'll do two things together. First, we'll do an overview of the plagues. And as we do that, we're going to answer the question, how can we possibly see the love of God in the seven last plagues? Here we go. Revelation 16, verse 2. So the first went out and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Sores, painful, putrid, hideous sores. Why would God send this? Here's why. What did they say when they threatened the mark of the beast in Revelation chapter 13? You remember? They said, if you take the mark, you will be secure physically. The mark of the beast is the opposite of the seal of God. It means obeying human commands above the commands of God. Now those who inflicted physical harm upon those who wouldn't take the mark of the beast themselves receive physical harm. They threatened force upon those who were faithful to God, and now they receive these nasty boils. What is the message of the first plague? The message is that all physical security is in Christ. As the plague falls all around them, the words of God's people will be Psalm 46, 1 and 2, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Friends, once we have given our lives to God, our physical security is in Christ. Though the world be literally falling apart around us, we will not be afraid. We won't yield to the intimidation, the threats, and the pressure. Not because we are strong, but because we've given our lives to the one who is. Plague number two, the sea becomes like the blood of a dead man. This is a picture of a red tide. In August of 2018, Florida saw the worst red tide in decades as it spread 150 miles up its Gulf Coast. Red tide is caused when microscopic forms of algae produce toxins that attack the central nervous system of sea creatures, killing them. In this case, Florida had 267 tons of dead sea life that washed up on shore. Bulldozers have been needed and sometimes in red tide to to scoop and get rid of the, the dead sea life that are just piled up on the beach. Friends, if a red tide happens on a global scale, what would happen to the world economy? Commerce mostly happens on the sea. Revelation says in this plague, and every living creature in the sea died. Think about how terrible the stench would be. Beaches will all need bulldozers. And think of the inability of shipping lines to provide food and other products across the world. People would be stocking up on more than just toilet paper. An economic nightmare would take place. What does the second plague say? 
that all economic security is in Christ. Remember the enforcers of the mark of the beast, what they said? You better receive it or you won't be able to buy or sell. But here in the second plague, they're unable to provide as they promised. The only economic security is in Christ. Plague number three, the rivers and the springs are turned to blood. Now about 90% of the cities in the world are either near the ocean or on the mouth of a major river or along a major river. This is a picture of the Yangtze River in 2012 in China. It mysteriously turned red. This is a small picture of what every river and fresh water source will look like in the third plague, only with blood. What's this all about? Well, in the Bible, water is a symbol of life. Revelation 16, 5 and 6 says, And I heard the angel of the waters saying, You are righteous, O Lord, because they have shed the blood of the saints and your prophets. It's like Jesus is saying, You thought you had the power over life, but you don't. I am the source of life. What is the lesson behind this literal, physical plague? Well, remember the first plague. The lesson is that all physical security is in Christ. The beast power threatened to torment them, but Jesus said, don't be afraid. All physical security is in me. The beast power said, you won't be able to buy or sell. What does Jesus say? Trust me, I'm able to feed you during that time. All economic security is in me. The beast power then said, don't take the mark of the beast and we'll take your life. But Jesus says, your eternal life is safe in me. I am the author of life. The message of the third plague, friends, is that all true life is in Christ. And if your life is not yet His, you've not yet really started to live. Friends, you and I may go through this time where all around us will see chaos and disaster, but God will protect and provide for His people. The fourth plague is poured out on the sun and it scorches mankind. This will be the ultimate global warming. Remember what the issue is in the last days? It's over worship. The largest thing in our sky has been the object of worship down through the centuries. Every pagan society, Greece, Rome, the Mayans, the Persians, the Babylonians, you name it, they have worshipped the sun. In the last days, there is a great controversy between sun worship and Sabbath worship, between worshipping the one that made and worshipping the things that have been made. Now, verse 9 is critical. It says, they blasphemed the name of God and did not repent and give Him glory. You'd think that those who rejected His love, those who were suffering under the seven last plagues, would get on their knees and admit their wrongs to God. But they don't. Why not? Because as we saw, this is after the door of salvation has been shut. Everyone will have made their final decision for all eternity and would never change their mind no matter how much time they'd had. With a 10 or 50 more years, it would make no difference. They have fixed their characters. It's clearly seen in the plagues that they have trusted in the wrong sources, that there is only one who can deliver during those plagues, and He is the Creator God. What does the fourth plague tell us? That all true worship is in Christ. Only He is worthy of our worship. And as Jesus said uh, that He is the Lord of the Sabbath, in loving obedience to Him, the Sabbath of the Lord has united the hearts of Christ's people to His. Nothing can compare with the love of the Lord and the peace of His presence. Like the early Americans, these people's life motto will have been, no king but King Jesus. The fifth plague, 
supernatural darkness. Like in Egypt, it's a darkness that can even be felt. Where is this darkness of the fifth plague? Verse 10 says, The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and, on his, ki- and his kingdom became full of darkness. By this time, the beast's kingdom is global. The world wandered after the beast, the Bible says. They looked to him, a human religious authority who's united church and state. They looked to that power for light and for truth, but they only found tradition and falsehood. The literal darkness indicates a deeper spiritual darkness. What is God saying in the fifth plague? All light and truth is only in Jesus. If you want the light of truth, come to Christ. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word enlightens the future. The human race follow a false religious leader at the end of time and they follow them into falsehood, into darkness. But God's people follow in the light and the truth of His holy word. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. So the fact is, if we walk in the darkness of error now, we will be engulfed in that physical darkness in the plagues. But if we walk in the light of God's truth now, we will be surrounded by the light of Jesus Christ. Verse 11, it says, they did not repent of their deeds. And it says just before that they blasphemed the God of heaven. Friends, it is extremely dangerous for us to turn away from any teaching of God's word. If you do that, you will gradually be led into more and more darkness. Our only safety is to walk in the joy, the light, and the truth of God's word. Plague number six, the dragon and the beast and the false prophet. This satanic trinity prepares the masses uh, for Armageddon. What is Armageddon? In verse 14, it says, the battle of the great day of God Almighty. This is another term for uh, the battle of Armageddon. The word Armageddon comes from the Hebrew root words Har and Megiddo, and it means the Mount of Megiddo. Now the plains, there's no mountain in Megiddo, there are plains there, the nearest mountain is Mount Carmel, but the plains of Megiddo were the place of many massive ancient battles. So in the last days of Earth's history, there's conflict, famine, and strife. There's economic disaster all around. As the world is falling apart, a powerful world leader arises to bring everyone together. Satan and his demons work miracles, and the masses of people, the legislators, yield to the popular desire of the masses and a common day of rest and worship is enforced upon humanity. Those who worship the Creator cannot go along. Therefore, they worship the true God on His true Sabbath. And as a result of this, every human being is catapulted to make a final decision for or against Christ. When the decision is finally made, the judgments of God are poured out, one after another. By the time of the sixth plague, those who have followed the beast in this unity movement, this confederacy, recognize uh, that what they thought would happen has not. They thought that they could bring peace to earth. Angrily, they marshal their forces. All the forces of hell are deployed against God's people, and they prepare for the battle of Armageddon. What is it? What's this battle? It's a massive struggle where the wicked all try to destroy the good. And what does the Bible say? Psalm 91, verses 5 through 8. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flies by day, 
nor for the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor for the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. What is the message of the sixth plague? That only in Christ are we sheltered and safe. Jesus Christ is going to come and deliver His people. In the plagues, we have seen, first, our physical security is in Christ. Second, our economic security is in Christ. Third, all true life is in Christ. Fourth, all true worship is in Christ. Fifth, all light and truth. It's not with the beast. It's in Christ. Sixth, all shelter and safety is in Christ. And seventh, in the seventh and the last plague, we see that all deliverance is in Christ. Just when it looks like God's people will have their lives snuffed out by Satan and his forces, the voice of God from heaven says, it is finished. The biggest earthquake in human history shakes the entire globe. The tidal waves swallow up entire islands. Mountains break off and are thrown into the midst of the sea. Great hail falls from the sky, about 25 kilos or 55 pounds each. The artillery of heaven has come. It's Armageddon. Human wickedness is destroyed. God's people are sheltered by Him, protected by Him, and rescued by Him. Soon after, Jesus arrives to rescue His people. They've lived for this day. They've longed for this day. They've looked forward to living in a better land because heaven's constitution guarantees liberty forever. The pilgrims came to America seeking a better country, and God's people are pilgrims in this world, journeying to our heavenly home. And now, the time has finally come. Like my camping friends who had been promised that an airlift rescue was coming to lift them above the flames, so Jesus' airlift rescue mission has arrived. Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Those in their graves who followed him are resurrected and they meet Jesus in the sky. It goes on in verse 17. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Jesus will airlift us up above this burning planet. We'll each have our passport, which is the perfect righteousness of Jesus. Our flight is paid for by Jesus himself. Coming with Him are all the holy angels, the most frequent flyers in the universe, and we'll wing our way together to our heavenly home. No longer pilgrims far from home, but citizens and permanent residents of the new Jerusalem forever and ever and ever. Friend, maybe you're hearing this for the first time. Maybe you've read or heard some of these things before and something in your heart has said, if this is true, I want to be there. I'd like to invite you to pick up your phone, text or call the number you see on your screen. We'd love to connect with you. We'd love to study the Bible together and be a part of your journey with Jesus. My Country Tis of Thee, written by a university student, was the unofficial U.S. national anthem for 100 years. And I'd like to share with you the final verse. It applies in any country. And as I make it mine, I want to invite you to make this last verse your prayer as well. Our Father's God, to Thee, author of liberty, to Thee we sing. Long may our land be bright with freedom's holy light. 
Protect us by thy might, great God, our King. Father, this is our prayer. In Jesus' precious name. Did God have his hand over the founding of America? Was it a bastion of freedom or a center for slavery? What were Sunday blue laws and how are they connected to the mark and the image of the beast? How can believers stand faithful to God in the events to come? Join us for answers to these questions and more as we trace America's role in Bible prophecy from its beginnings all the way down till just before Jesus comes again.